All right, welcome to episode three of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And we have a full day today. We're talking three episodes. We're going to try and cram it all in. Yeah, so we have uh, Pretty Poison, The Underdwellers, and POV. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some interesting ones here. So Pretty Poison, the first episode with Poison Ivy. Yeah, it's also Paul Dini's uh, writing debut, which no I didn't shit. realize. Yeah, until until I did my research. No, oh, you did much better research than I did. I I did do some research on the history of Poison Ivy. Okay, which is not I very not. interesting. Like, because there, there's really not that much there. I thought, oh, she's a huge villain. She's been in tons of stuff. There's gonna be a lot of history. There's really not. Mm-hmm. Basically, she originally premiered in 1960 in Batman number 181. Beware of Poison Ivy. Great names back then. Uh, modeled after Betty Page and. She started out kind of the way she's always been, so a botanist, a toxicologist, and she was poisoned by a professor. And then <laughs> post-crisis in April of 85, her background changed a little bit, and then it became that she was experimented on by Dr. Jason Woodrow, which is the more common origin now. So that was the one that was used in Batman and Robin. And we actually don't know what her origin is in Right, the they don't go series. into it at all. She just, in this episode at least, it doesn't, it doesn't show she has control of her plants. No, they they don't. They give her a motivation for why she's pissed at Harvey, but mm-hmm. they don't actually explain her origin. Right. And I don't remember if they ever do. I guess we'll find out. Soon. I guess I don't know. Yeah, at some point. So I mean, yeah, she's kind of basically just famous for trying to protect the environment at any means necessary. Uh, I'd say second to that, she's famous for having a relationship with Harley. Yeah, which normally a friendship, but I think that might have been changed recently to also a romantic relationship i'm not 100 percent well in this series it's very much a like thelma and louise kind of relationship they're just kind yeah. of partners in crime and, and since we're since we're doing the poison ivy talk before the episode um what i found really interesting about this is she is kind of the only female character in this series that doesn't have a male or a, a female villain that doesn't have a male counterpart like if you go Catwoman, she has Batman, or I go romantic counterpart. Batwoman, oh, okay, Catwoman yeah. has Batman. Talia has her father and yeah, Batman. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Harley obviously has the Joker. Yeah. But Poison Ivy just is kind of the embodiment of like female sexuality in this show. Like everything about her is kind of relating to just like the power of women. Yeah, she's a seductress. Yeah. So it's not the best example. But, yeah. Well, I mean, the the sexual power of women. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, so in this episode, her whole plot is that she is pissed at Harvey for killing some plants. Yeah. And so she's going to get back at him. And so it it's a, one of the few episodes where we actually spend some time with Harvey before he comes to face. Mm-hmm. And it's also one that has a surprise reveal that she's the bad guy, but it's right. Do, do we want to Do we want to go into the quick summary of everything? Yeah. So it starts off with, the flashback it's the the building of um the prison yeah which prison is it it's not is it black what no do they even say i, I don't have it, written it down, says so. it i don't remember i don't remember we're bad we're bad at this okay. it's the five years in the past they're building this prison on a spot where it's like the last uh of these flowers is, is blooming yeah it's just a dirt lot basically yeah but there's a couple of rose bushes and we just see hands digging them out of a hole and kind of trying to Take them away. Yeah. So uh, the character picks up the flower, jump five years. You see Batman chasing down a villain that had just escaped that same prison. And then you're having these very kind of cheeky jump cuts Oh yeah, between cause... him chasing down the villain and Harvey and uh, Pamela Isley 
his date waiting for Bruce to come to dinner. I did think it was interesting. Uh, this episode answered a question I had not ever thought of before. What does Poison Ivy eat? Because she wouldn't eat plants, right? She wouldn't eat a salad. Mm-hmm. She eats escargot. That's good. Snails, yeah. Yeah, well, it's perfect, right? She eats the one thing that destroys plants. That would... I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I never, I never thought about that before. I'm like, wait, what did she order? Because, like, it's like, oh, maybe she just eats a shitload of steak. I don't know. But loves those snails. But, yeah, so they have this cross-cutting back mm-hmm. and forth between the two, and it's... All, all puns. Um, I wrote, I wrote some of them down here because they're, they're amusing. They're not great, but they're amusing. It's yeah. like, oh, uh, yeah. Bruce probably got hung up on business as he's dangling from the helicopter, and you know he hangs out with a rough crowd, and he knows how to get his kicks. As he kicks the, as he kicks, as yeah, he kicks the escapee. It's very literal. Yeah. So then he catches the guy who's trying to escape in a helicopter from the prison. Directly above the restaurant. Oh, I, I didn't even I didn't realize that till my second time through that he's like directly above the restaurant he's supposed to be at. Of course, you'd think he would have planned that out better because then he drives all the way back to the Batcave, changes. Does he go back to the Batcave? I, he does. I just assume he has a suit in his car at all times. You think that you think that'd be the much smarter way to go because mm-hmm. he always has a bat suit stashed away in his normal car, but apparently he doesn't have a normal suit stashed away in the Batmobile because he drives all the way back to the Batcave, jumps out, changes. Yeah, okay, I guess that's true. Yeah, and then he hops in the car and heads to... Oh, because he hops in the other car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he hops in a cord, which I got excited about that because <laughs> cords are, like, some of the most beautiful cars ever. And I thought this was interesting because, so, again, we've talked about the, the sort of timelessness of this world. So he's getting in a car that was super expensive, very popular back in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And he has a credit card. <laughs> it's just kind of fun. Like, and... um in a later episode, too, we get a chance to see his garage, and it's just filled with all, like, Studebakers and cords and, like, all these old cars from the 30s. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's fun looking at those little world-building things they did to make it uh, feel timeless. Yeah. So Bruce makes it to the restaurant just in time to pay the check. Yeah. He's a good uh, guy. He's a good oh, friend, yeah. Bruce. Yeah. What I found really interesting about this episode and kind of these three episodes almost, like, it's really showing Bruce outside of Batman. Paul Dini is so good at writing the human side of Batman. And I'll go into that more when we're done summarizing everything. But yeah, you see this episode focuses so much on Bruce, I feel like. And I think it's really interesting to see that. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice change. Uh, again, it shows why Batman's such a great character for serialized stuff mm-hmm. rather than a movie because you get more time with Bruce. But yeah, so Harvey gets poisoned. Well, first he decides he's going to propose to Pam. Yeah. After a week, Bruce is laughing at him. Harvey gets poisoned. I've had friends make stupider decisions. Harvey gets poisoned, falls face first into his chocolate mousse. Yep. Gets rushed to the hospital. We get a lot of very cliche hospital jargon. Mm-hmm. Just on loop, basically, the doctor's saying the exact same shit over and over again. And then... Uh, he does Bruce detective work. And so he steals the uh, blood sample. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting because, you know, Batman's all about stopping illegal things from happening. Couldn't Batman have just gone in and asked for the blood sample instead of stealing it? I mean, this is a race against the clock. His best friend is dying in a hospital. He's got to get it now. I I understand that, but, like, (laughs) through becoming Batman, Bruce has become, like, kind of his own illegal figure. But, whatever. No, I mean, it's it's absolutely true. He does just kind of do... He does whatever he wants. He he sees himself as so far above the law because he is Batman. Yeah, and he's also uh, a better medical expert. Than anyone. Than any doctors. Yeah. Well, he's got that bitching computer, so that helps. The only computer, apparently. Yeah, the only computer in this entire world, and he just keeps it stashed away. Bruce is an asshole. Like, yeah. Why doesn't he share this stuff with the hospital? He wouldn't have to do half the stuff he did if he just shared his tech. Yeah, that's why he's ruining the Wayne name. God, what a dick. So, But he does steal it. Yeah, he, he steals the, the blood cave. sample, figures out the 
the derivative of the poison is this extinct flower. And then conveniently, as he sees that, there's a commercial that comes on for, right? Is that, isn't this the Pamela Isley no, perfume? This, no, he looks her up. Oh, okay. Yeah, he looks her up on his bitching computer. On his on the singular computer. And then it's the commercial for Pamela Asley's perfume. Because it's the tagline is, it's so deadly. Was there a commercial? Have I... There was definitely a video for it. Okay. I've completely forgotten. I just whatever. imagined it as a commercial. <laughs> There's a commercial or a video. I forgot that part entirely. I don't know if I even wrote that down in my uh, slightly indecipherable notes. But, yeah, I mean, all the way through, it's made it perfectly obvious who the character is. Right. But they do do nice little touches of like visually tying it all together. It's like, oh yeah, they're at the Rose Cafe and then it cuts back to the actual Rose itself and then it cuts to like a picture of it and Mm -hmm. the Rose just keeps popping up. Works pretty well. But yeah, so he goes from there to the Botanical Gardens, right? Where we find a little shed that Poison Ivy lives out of. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. But she did decide to go and change out of her gardening clothes into her Poison Ivy outfit. Without without even knowing Batman was there. So she just Just does that for fun, I guess. You know? I get it. I I change at night, too. Something a little more comfortable. Yeah. Mine also has a wrist crossbow on it, so I get where she's coming from. It's important to stay safe at night. It really is. Especially in Gotham. Yeah, especially in Gotham, especially at the Botanical Gardens. You never know who's going to show up. In this case, it's Batman. Yeah. And what is the first thing he does? He gets attacked by the Venus flytrap? Oh, no. He falls through a, a trap door in the ground first. Oh, right, right, right. But he, he swings his way out on what is revealed to be a man-eating vine mm-hmm. that's part of a Venus flytrap. So John Mulaney makes this joke about how... Is it John Mulaney or Chris Hardwick that makes the sand, uh, the sand trap joke? I don't know. They're, not sand trap. Quicksand. Like, quicksand... Oh, it's John Mulaney. Okay, yeah. John Mulaney makes the joke that as a kid, quicksand is like one of the top three things to fear. Oh, right? And I feel like Venus flytraps are right behind that. Like, oh, it totally is. In yeah. every cartoon, there's always a man-eating Venus flytrap that's just 30 times bigger than a normal-sized Venus flytrap. I know. I, I know what you mean. As a kid, I remember seeing the live-action Jungle Book movie, the first one, like way back in the 90s, and some guy got eaten quicksand, and I was like terrified of quicksand after that. Yeah. And then you ever see a little Venus flytrap, I was like, you kind of want to just like... You just want to poke it. You want to poke it. Do you think it's because of Little Shop of Horrors that that became such a a big trend? That and probably Mario. Yeah, I guess Mario. But here we have another one, ready to eat Batman. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's how he's incapacitated this episode. First time he's incapacitated this episode is by a a Venus flytrap. I'll say reasonable. Yeah. That that would would actually put him in a bit of a bind. What I don't understand is some of these moments with Batman is he doesn't, like he has this tool to escape. But he doesn't use it until the last second. And yeah. I understand it's a very common trope in every adventure story. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think that the, in this world, his justification is he's a bit of a drama queen. Oh, absolutely he is. Yeah, I mean, just look look at what he does. Clearly he's got a bit of a flair for dramatic. Uh, Alfred even calls him out on that in... P- the, not P- in uh, the next one. Uh, yeah, one of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It was underdressed. Always yeah, calling him out for his dramatic flair. So yeah, he's, he's trapped. But thankfully he has a knife up his wrist. Just kind of flips out. Done. Uh, that was super easy. Cuts the vines. Poison Ivy freaks out because, you know, he harmed her plant. Oh, no. And then what causes the fire? Because uh, everything just erupts in fire immediately after that. Uh, hang on, hang on. She uh, shoots her crossbow at the electrical, at the electric box, I, I think believe. that's it. Let me, let me see here. I have exposition, um, murder of plant, poison. Oh, he gets poisoned by, she kisses him. Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah, he yeah. figures out that she poisoned Harvey. Uh, so he stabs the plant. Ivy shoots her own plant. 
Uh, oh, he grapples away, knocks over a lamp, which causes a fire. Okay, there we go. And then he ends up back in the trap, and we think he's going to die, but he's holding the rose. And so Ivy gives him the antidote so he can get out. And so he gives her the flower. Yeah, and he saves them both with the wheelbarrow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All tied up. We did it. You did it, Paul Dini. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we're we're kind of going through it quickly, but it's 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 a fine episode. It, it's a very fun episode. I really enjoyed this. You know, the intro of Poison Ivy is wonderful, and kind of you see more of the detective side of Batman, which is yeah. great. And you you see that he doesn't rely on just Batman's detective skills. Like no, he Bruce relies on pocket knives and pocket knives yeah. and, and gadgets. But he he rely like it's an equal balance of detective work between Bruce and Batman, and we see that in a couple, in a lot of the episodes that we're going to talk about, we see that very often. It's a nice balance between being a kids episode and a little bit more adult. It has a little more kind of adult jokes thrown in there, and it's it's not quite as kid focused as our next episode in particular. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to, um, I wanted to jump on a quick note about uh, Paul Dini's writing because mm-hmm. I, I did some research into him and it. it He has a very, very interesting quote about how he's... I talked about it in the first episode already, but how he's so inspired by Stan Lee uh, and the Marvel movement of the 60s. Basically, he he wants to write... He he has such a huge emphasis on Bruce outside of the mask. And I've brought that up a couple times already, but it's so important to understand that Paul Dini and Bruce Timm and this whole universe don't want... Like, they, they want them to be separate characters, but they are actually making Bruce, like, a fully fleshed-out person yeah and i feel like that's something that that hasn't ever been fully shown in any other adaptation of batman he's just kind of like this half person who's just sitting there waiting to put the cowl back on one of my favorite of the movies is actually batman returns because it opens with him doing exactly that he's literally just sitting in his mansion by himself with nothing to do until the bat signal goes up and i i love that because that shows that yeah there are versions of him in that one in particular where that's all he cares about is just doing the batman thing and it's so perfect yeah this one it does give him more of a life he actually has like a little bit of a social life too he does go out mm-hmm. and see his friends he does care about his friends yeah like paul dini is he's so great at expanding the world like the outside world of Gotham, beyond just Batman and the rogues gallery. There's there's more to the city than just crime, and it's really interesting to see that side of Gotham, even though it ends up just being more crime. It's, it's all crime everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crime and swanky parties. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, burns through that pretty fast, but it's, it's pretty fun. It's a better version of Poison Ivy than in Batman and Robin. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, so we... Move on to the Underdwellers. I know you were actually very excited about this episode. I watching it, I was very excited, and then when I sat down to take notes on it, I lost a lot of that excitement. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's um, it's basically just uh, a series of PSAs showing you the dangers of trains, guns, and the streets, and more trains, and more trains. So many trains. Like I did a little bit of just looking up trivia and stuff on it. And the director in this episode, who I forgot to write down, has, that was his, like, first episode. Mm-hmm. And he and Bruce Tim have basically both come forward and said, like, yeah, we probably just shouldn't have done this one. Like, Well, it's I, I looked up a couple of the, like, episode lists, and this is very often put in the top five worst episodes. Oh, yeah. It's, there's so many episodes. If you were trying to give someone a, a condensed list, like, here are the ones worth watching, this would show up on no one's. <laughs> absolutely no one's list. This is like the Moonraker of <laughs> Batman animated series episodes. You can just skip it. It's I had a lot of fun ridiculous. with this episode. I, I, it's, you, it's one of those where you just turn your brain off 
and you just sit there as a mashed potato and you just enjoy enjoy what's in front of you. You enjoy the thousands of tamed crocodiles that so many crocodiles know only to not eat their master. The, it, the children that are we're, let's just go into the episode. Yeah, yeah. Because right so we 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 start with the PSA number one, which is two kids playing chicken on a train, and of course one of them's freaking out, the other ones. Just a total asshole. Freaking, as all kids are. Those as all are the kids two are. Categories you can you can put every child in. There's the asshole on the train, uh, and Batman swoops in, saves him. And did you write down his line? Did you write down his fantastic line he gives to the kids? I didn't, unfortunately. <sighs> if you play chicken long enough, you fry. Okay. Yep. Great words of wisdom. I I notice in in a couple. Of, we'll, we'll get into them when we get to the points. But I noticed the dialogue for Batman has steadily gotten worse. Oh yeah. There's. Lots of corny lines in the, the collection of episodes we watched recently. Lots of corny lines. Lots of uh, bat thumbs, too. Lots yeah. of thumbs up. And a lot of bat one-liners, which are yeah. just... Yeah. They don't work. I mean, I'd, I'd take the one-liners over the PSAs. That's true. Oh, God. I, the, way that I see the, the way I see this episode is it was like Warner Brothers approached Bruce Timm and was like, okay, these are the concerns that people, that adults have with children. Can you have an episode for each of these points? And he's like, no, no, no. I got this. We're just going to put all of them in one episode. He's even Don't said, play chicken on trains. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give kids guns. Don't follow a, an orphan into the sewers because <laughs> he will make clothes and be a miner underground, I guess. Yeah, it, it was weird. Like, in particular, that, that opening thing, like, they even said, like, there's really no reason for it to be in the episode. Like, they just kind of put it in there because they were trying to do PSA-style things. Like, yeah, we should have cut it. They basically like, we should have cut the whole episode because none of it makes sense. But so after... After the train. It's a jump cut to a random street in Gotham, and there's a child who is referenced as a leprechaun. Who would think a kid's going to steal something? It has to be a mythological Irish creature. Yeah, little uh, little old lady gets her purse stolen, thinks it's a leprechaun. Uh, we get a corny little moment where the cop's like, leprechauns in this city, and then Batman like pops up. One of the few times he decides to just run around in the middle of the street instead of on the rooftops. Exactly. I, I even wrote that down of this little kid is the only person who's ever able to escape Batman <laughs> just by running. And Bat and mainly because the coincidence on the street is it's a completely barren street minus pedestrians. And they go one alley over and then it's just packed cars. And then Batman is like gives up on being stealthy. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I'm just going to be like a cop because that works out so well in Gotham. Mm -hmm. And then the second when the cops actually show up, he's like, they got this covered. I'm going to go away. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm good. <laughs> so then he uh, he goes back to the Batcave. We know it's the Batcave because a shitload of bats fly in front of the screen. Yep. And we're back. And he makes a comment about seeing a leprechaun to Alfred. He just kind of lets it go at that point, right? Because then it goes back to the sewers and we see where the little kid, the leprechaun, goes back down and we meet the sewer king. Well, I want to I want to talk about that moment with Alfred really quick because mm -hmm. I think I mean I you know I look really deep into everything Alfred says. I think he's yeah, the you most, do. I, I love my Alfred moments. He's talking about like I think you're going crazy. And he's like, no, I'm not crazy. And then he's pushing for like him to take a break. Like you've been Batman for a while and you've been Bruce for a while. Let's oh, go on a vacation. Yeah. And I think this moment was very very interesting because you know uh, Alfred is is pitching these ideas like oh go golf he's like that's boring oh go to the beach and play golf he's like that's boring he's like okay well what do you want to do he's like oh i'm just gonna put the cowl back on and i think that shows like there's more motivation in the show for batman besides just his parents dying like he's so bored of bruce that this is his escape 
Okay, yeah. That's a really good point. I kind of glossed over that moment because the rest of it's so ridiculous. But you're right. That actually is a, a good little character moment they, they found in an otherwise ugh, episode. <laughs> always saved by Alfred. Always, always saved by Alfred. Um, so then it jump cuts to we're yeah. in the sewer, the sweatshop sewer. What are they doing down there? They're just... There's, they, some of them are sewing. Some of them are... They were using farm equipment. So either they're farming or I think they were mining just in a sewer. What... What do you think the Sewer King's plan here is? So he he lives in the sewer. We'll just give that to him. Yeah. And he finds children. Again, we just give that. What's it, the point? I think he's looking for crocodile eggs. That actually makes a shitload of sense. And he's been successful at it because we see later he has an army of trained crocodiles at yep. his disposal. Yeah, because so, later on he makes a comment about how, like, oh, he, like, found these kids. He gave them a home. He gave them food. He's teaching them a skill set, but he never lets them leave. So what are they going to do with that skill set? Is he going to sell the clothes to the people of Gotham? Like these random sewer handmade I don't know. Well, isn't this, isn't this kind of like a, a poor man's telling? Of, isn't it Oliver Twist? Yeah. It's the same story? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically just a riff in Oliver Twist, which I yeah. haven't read. Sorry, Dickens. But yeah, I don't know what he intends to do with it, but he, he thinks he's doing the right thing somehow. Um, uh, oh, but they're not allowed to make a sound. The, the whole episode feels like it's basically just flat out pandering to kids. It's like, here are kids who are put in this really rough situation, feel bad for them. This is what happens if you run away. Yeah, exactly. This happens if you run away. Like, you know, the, the, the villain says, like, oh, kids should be seen and not heard. Like, the classic trope. Sure, I heard at some point in my childhood. So moving along here, like, we'll see a kid later at Wayne Manor and how he behaves. It's like, it's all... The like, leprechaun. It, yeah, the leprechaun. All fantasy come true. So... What are my notes here? Jesus, what happens? So um, the the kid scream. He hits himself with uh, the a ray. hoe. Yeah, the hoe. Uh, and he screams as kids do when they injure themselves. Stuart King makes a huge scene about it. Throws the kid in the light box. I guess that's the equivalent of a hot box in prison. Yeah, I, I think they were. It's just a room of lights. Yeah, it's just a really bright room. I think they're really limited by what broadcast standards and practices would let them do. That's true. I think they wanted it to be darker and they wanted it to be a little more twisted. Mm-hmm. But they were like, no, 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 you can't do that. So, yeah, the, the punishment is the light box. So while that kid is throwing the light box, the leprechaun, whose name is... Do you know his name? Oh, I don't know. I'm taking water here. Go ahead. His name is Frog. Mm-hmm. He escapes... Oh, that's right. It is Frog, yeah. Yeah, so he escapes out the back. And we have our second scary train moment. Don't run on train tracks, kids. Oh, yeah, because Batman's gone back and starts with the Leprechaun. And he has uh, magic secret door detecting goggles. And then he blows up another door. And, yeah, he comes across the kid. Once again, saves him from a train. Mm-hmm. It's goddamn trains. There's a lot of trains in this episode. Yeah. Trains and gators. Tra- yeah, I mean, this is... this is That's what they should call it. That's the name of this episode, is trains and gators. Yeah. Oh, there. so he saves the kid. One thing I did think was cool is he goes back to the Batmobile and it has camouflage. It's disguised like a dumpster. Yeah, I, I wrote that down too. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of like the, the shields from the 89 and 92 movies, the Tim Burton movies. Mm-hmm. That Batmobile always had shields, which like as a kid, that was like my favorite freaking thing, that it had shields on it. I don't know why I just thought that was so freaking cool. But in this version, it's actually much more practical because like the Batmobile, already a conspicuous car, covering it in more armored plating, doesn't make it any less conspicuous it just makes it slightly less likely to get sabotaged into, yeah which even then this movie show doesn't work but if you disguise like a garbage can no one's gonna give a shit it's genius i want that on my car except there you know there's that giant homeless population that might go dumpster diving oh that's find. true someone's taking a shit in the roof of my car thinking it's a garbage can what is that it's that's uh chicago sunset what is that called what chicago su- moon roof that's what it 
I'm, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> when you, it's when you open up the moonroof in someone's car and you take a shit through it. Oh, well, I haven't done it, so I don't know what it's called. <laughs> you make it sound like I have done <laughs> it's it. It's from your dark days, I guess. <laughs> um, so Bruce just kidnaps this kid. Yep. Does he knock him out in the car? I don't remember. He hypnotized him to okay, fall, that's to fall asleep yeah. Yeah, as he goes to the Batcave. Uh, but he still wakes up in the Batcave, and then he sees the rest of the mansion. Yeah, he just pawns him off to Alfred. It's like, yeah. here, Alfred, deal with this. Who apparently doesn't know how to handle children. Despite raising both Bruce and Dick. But, I mean, he's like at a 50% on sane children, I guess. That's, well, actually, he should know how to deal with this, because this, it's a crazy little child. He yeah. only knows how to deal with crazy kids. Yeah, I guess that's very true. Yeah. So then we have a, a great little montage of Alfred trying to teach manners to Frog, the, the leprechaun orphan. And so he's like trying to make him take a shower and he's like afraid of water, I guess. Um, he lives in a sewer. Why is he? I don't know. He teaches him how to, he's trying to teach him how to eat properly and the kid just keeps stealing the silverware. And then he's trying to teach him how to clean dishes and same thing, he's just stealing all the dishes. He's riding the serving tray down the staircase. And yeah. It's, again, it feels like the writer's like, oh, what would a kid do? Like a kid who hadn't been taught manners, as it were. What would a kid do like that in a mansion? Well, that's another, like, I feel like that was a huge trope in 93. Because that we also had Richie Rich come out around the same time, and he does a very similar thing. We had Blank Check come out at the same time, and he does a very similar thing. That was just like... Kids like to ride down the stairs and stuff. That's true. Yeah. Home Alone. Ride yeah. the sled down the stairs. Man, I love all those movies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was just a very condensed version of those movies. Should we do a spinoff podcast? Uh, sliding Down Stair Talk? Yep. Just, uh, <laughs> just those four movies. Just, just those four movies. It'll be a quick series, but it'll be worth it. Um, so while Alfred is taking care of the kid, no, I guess it's after he's taking care of the kid, Bruce comes back. Oh, no, he, he's going into the gun closet. Oh yeah, the gun, the gun room. Yeah, the gun room. And so he pulls Bruce a gun. Wayne, whose parents were shot and killed as a child, has a room filled with guns. Yeah, but not loaded guns. No, well, that's no. what's important. No, of course not. It's it's not. Even, it's like a blunderbuss. Yeah, too. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so he pulls it out and pulls it on out. The frog pulls the gun on Alfred, and Bruce comes in and gives the another great PSA, just like. Don't give guns to kids. Yeah, a, a great stern, message. A stern but brief lecture on gun control. Uh, and then he takes the kid back to the sewers. As, as I would, too. Yeah. Just drop him off and let him do his thing. Did he do any detective work during that whole thing? Nope. Nope. What the fuck was he doing? He's probably laughing at Alfred. No, he, actually, he was. That's right. He was sitting in the cave, like, watching the video, laughing at him. Yeah. What a dick. You know... That's what Alfred gets for calling him weird. I get <laughs> So he takes the kid back to the sewer. The kid shows him where the sewer king is, pulls down the giant bell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, they, they find the kids, mm-hmm. and Batman, like, gets super pissed and starts taking photos as, like, evidence to show the police, like, what's the horrible conditions these kids are in. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, he pulls down the dude's bell. And then the, the great, first great fight scene, <sighs> sewer king comes out with two giant crocodiles, did you ever see The Rescuers? I haven't. You Wait, you, like, Mr. Disney have never seen... All right, let's stick to the topic. The Rescuers. It's, it's relevant. It is relevant, because in The Rescuers, the, the main villain, the first one, she's the same thing. She has two, like, pet crocodiles on leashes, and it's almost like in a, the exact same shot they redid in the show. Mm-hmm. Go watch The Rescuers, man. It's a good shit. I will. God, get off my back. So he takes the two crocodiles, and I probably my favorite moment of the episode is how 
Batman stops one of the crocodiles by just holding his mouth open, and then he just passes out. Yeah. Did he kill that croc? I think so. Yeah. I think he, like... Because he forces his mouth open, and then the croc's eyes go wide, and he slumps down. I think he killed that thing. Yeah. Well, good thing Poison Ivy wasn't around. Yeah, right? No, uh, she'd be totally cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing Killer Croc wasn't around. There you go. Yeah, because um, he's a croc killer. Got it. Uh, Nailed it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's... An endless supply. So he has two, and he just, like, smacks one with a bell. Yeah. And then he hog ties one. As you do. Yeah. Which, that actually is, like, really a solid move. It's good to know that he trained in Florida during his, like, intense yeah. years of training. Even Batman will go to Florida. Yeah. And he has to. He, he has, has to, to go to the worst conditions yeah. in order to be the best he can. <laughs> He's been all over the world, but the hardest month he ever spent was, was in Florida. Hog-tying in Florida. Hog-tying gators. And uh, so he hogties one. Uh, Sewer King has two more that come running up. He kills one. The other one, I guess, just just goes away. Yeah. He's good. Sewer King runs off. At what point? Oh, no, he fights the gators. So he kills one. There's another fourth one. How many are there? That's my notes. Oh, uh, Frog swings down and saves a kid from being thrown to the gators. Mm-hmm. We get a, a, a Batman thumb up moment because he loves those. And then Sewer King runs off. And then he, and then like, what happens? Batman kicks him and he falls to his death. Oh no, Batman just falls down an open manhole. He just falls down a hole. Like he's chasing after the sewer king and he just misses a hole in the floor. Yeah, as Batman does. Great detective work, buddy. Slides down a chute and then is like hanging from a pipe. And he hangs there, I guess, just to hang there. Yeah, because, you know, he doesn't want to save himself. He's got he has a, gra- a flare he has, dramatic. He ha- yeah, exactly. He has a grapple, which he uses to get out later. But now nah, I'm just going to chill here. Yeah. He's going to chill up this, this croc pit. And then Sewer King, I think, attacks him. And falls. And falls into the water. And we the crocs swim yeah, down. to his it. death, yeah. as we think. Oh, my God. There were more crocs and rescuers down under, too. So he swings. <laughs> So Batman looks down, crocodiles seem to attack Sewer King. He's hanging there, and then like five seconds later, you just hear his voice laughing. Yeah. Sewer King's voice, and he just gets out of the water. Yeah, he just walks away. none of my crocs would hurt me, and he just leaves. And so Batman grapples off. I guess Uh, he has to actually save the day. So Sewer King runs then out onto the train tracks. Batman blows the door off. Sewer King falls in front of the train. Uh, And Batman saves him and says, stay away from trains. Yeah. (laughs) Stay away from trains, kids. Look straight at the camera. Thumb up. Thumbs up. Smile. So this episode felt very, like a 1980s cartoon. It did. It was very flat. Very, yeah, very PSA. It was all, like everything felt like he was trying to sell something. Like sell a point. Not like an action figures, but like sell a point. Yeah. Well, they're uh, not selling any Sewer King action figures. Oh, man, I wish. Although, who knows? If that, that new line of awesome animated series toys goes long enough, maybe we'll get a Sewer King action figure. At some point. Cameron, if they make a Sewer King action figure, I'll buy one for you. Thank you. Yeah. That's all I ask. I know. I did, I mean, I don't think it was, I feel, like, I feel like this would be a better line for another villain, but I did really appreciate the last line Batman says. Oh, yeah. As he pulls Sewer King off the train tracks. Uh, he's like, I don't pass the sentence. Um, I, that's for the court, but this time I wish I could do it or something yeah. like that. You see that, like, he, like, you see him get close to the line, the line that he can never cross. And I think that's interesting that kind of of all villains, this is the one that pushes him to that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I guess it does kind of make sense. I, I think they, I think the intent they have of this episode is to show that Batman is extra protective of kids. Yeah. Especially, which makes sense given his background. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a sloppy way to go about it, but it, it makes sense where they're, they're coming from and that this in particular would really, 
really set him off. Well, I think, like, from what I read about this episode, the storyline they were trying to get across, and I think it was, it was a great idea, just executed very poorly, but it was the idea of, like, the sins of the adults corrupts the innocence of children. Mm, heady. Yeah. Just not done very well. Just not done very well. But it's okay, because the kids come out, and for the first time ever, Frog is happy to see the light. There's Takes a, off his Ray-Bans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a metaphor to the face right there. And uh, off they go into what I'm sure is a horribly broken orphan foster well, care I, system well, in Gotham wait, City. I, Bruce builds his own uh, orphanage, right? Does he? I don't, I don't think... I mean, in, in the Batman universe, he has an orphanage named yeah. after him. Yeah. And I like to think it was right after this episode that he's like, I'm going to build an orphanage. going to go build an orphanage. But, you know, that's us just speculating. Let's, yeah... Maybe maybe Bruce isn't always such a dick, you know? Yeah. No, he probably is. Um, so, yeah, that's The Underdwellers. Made it. Classic, I, classic I, episode. I enjoyed that episode. I thought it was a very stupidly fun it, it was, cartoon. It's kind of a weird way. It's nice to almost have, like, a kind of bad episode. It really makes you appreciate the good episodes, I think. Yeah. Like, the show, I mean, as much as we praise it, I mean, again, we're still talking about every single episode. The bad always brings up the good. Yeah, it's got it's got some duds. I mean, mm-hmm. again, 12 years of content, not all of it's going to be great. Yeah. Except for Static Shock. Except, oh, of course, yeah, where there's no bad episodes of Static not Shock. Not a single one. So, yeah, so now we're on to episode 7, POV, mm-hmm. which I... I think I remember this episode being better than it actually was, although it's not necessarily bad. I really... I thought... It was a cool storytelling method that we hadn't, because it was the first time it kind of went off from the normal. It is a nice departure. I mean, in, in essence, it's the structure of Rashomon without the dark themes. Right. Yeah, why don't you set us up with uh, the episode, what's happening in the beginning here? So we uh, the episode opens with Officer Montoya and uh, Wink, or Wilkes, right? I have Officer no Wilkes. idea. I just—he's the rookie. I don't even know what yeah. he's called. Yeah, I think his name is Wilkes. W- okay. He doesn't have a first name. That's Let's just all say it's Wilkes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Montoya and Wilkes show up to this burning drug house, and they find Bullock just kind of in pain next to a getaway car. They go to—they go and try and help him. He says there's still people inside. They go inside. Place blows up. Screen fades black, and then it comes into an interrogation room, and it's the three of them. Bullock, Montoya, and Wilkes being interrogated by Gordon and Lieutenant blah, blah, blah. And internal affairs, whatever. I don't know what his name is. Hackle. Hackle? Ugh. Lieutenant Hackle. Jesus. And I really like the the storytelling method here. Like I said, this is this is a really interesting episode because it's kind of the only one the only one so far that is not Batman-focused or Bruce-focused. It's not about Batman or Bruce at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean— I think that was really cool. The main character of the episode— is Montoya. Yeah, and it's great. And it's great. I mean, it's awesome to see her get some time because she's mm-hmm. a great character. Yeah, so it's we have basically the they're all recounting what happens. They're all showing their perspective on the whole thing. Bullock's claiming that the other two are running late. Which Bullock is just they lying to the whole thing, yeah. which is very Bullock. I know. Such an asshole. He, he's, yeah. So, yeah, Bullock's story is he shows up to the scene. He's, on, he's been on this stakeout. They're trying to catch a bunch of drug dealers, and they put in, like, $2 million to try and stop them. And basically, Lieutenant Hackle is very angry because he thinks that there's, you know, a dirty cop in the room. And Gordon is very against it. He's like, these are my men. I trust all of them. Uh, So Bullock is like, I was waiting outside the drug house, and I saw Batman come in. 
or he walked in, and so I had to follow him. And then Batman made this noise uh, that got the attention of the drug dealers, and there was just a gunfight going on. You're giving me this look like I'm making all this up. No, 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 no. I, I am listening to you. I'm trying to decipher my own notes. Okay. So just keep going. This might take a while. <laughs> Fuck does that say? Uh, and then Bullock has to try and stop Batman while stopping the drug dealers. The drug dealers beat Batman up. He saves him. The building catches on fire, and he barely makes it out with Batman barely alive. Yeah. That's his version of the story. And while he's telling it, you see the actual story going on, which is basically all that except Batman wasn't there. Yeah, it like I mentioned earlier, it has the structure of Rashomon, each one's telling a story, but with Rashomon, whatever they're saying is also playing out on screen. Here, it's a deliberate visual audio contradictory. So mm-hmm. Bullock's saying like, oh yeah, there was a loud noise, it must have been Batman, it's him kicking a can. Yeah. Right, it's like, oh, Batman got incapacitated, I had to save him, it's the other way around. So we know, just from watching it, that he's lying. I was trying to figure out what, do you remember what the first commercial break was for the episode? My note seems to say no penned, and that's not a word. So I don't know what happened at the first commercial Notepad, break. Maybe? No, I don't. I don't, I don't think, remember. I, I I don't really look I, for the commercial break. Yeah, I, well, I, I always try and watch them because usually that's when Batman's in peril, and you know that I have an obsession that's with all true. the different ways that Batman gets in peril. I don't think he is. Oh, no peril. That's what it says. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Cause yeah, because yeah, I think it's after that story is when it just... Yeah, I think it goes goes to a break. Yeah, they're inside uh, what is... It seems like all of Gotham, Gotham City is super flammable. Yeah, it is. It's all built out of wood. It's just... That, that warehouse goes up quick. Mm-hmm. Real quick. Yeah, pretty much we see Bullock's line through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He basically messed everything up. As yeah. he does. As he does. Yeah, and he's trying to, to save his own ass. So then we come out of that, and then it's the rookie's story, which is kind of fun because he... He, uh, I love his telling of Batman. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see how the people of this world see him as this kind of supernatural creature. Like, we know Batman and all of his gadgets and devices and how he fights crime, but for the people who don't know everything that's in his utility belt, they they probably do see it as magic. He throws jet black bat shaped shurikens in dark alleys like uh the rookie the rookie goes in this alley chasing after two of the drug dealers Mm -hmm. and batman shows up and the way he describes it is he shoots sparks out of his fingertips and he oh yeah when he throws the uh the spike balls to stop to to stop stop the 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 getaway truck that the police officer is gonna get run over by because he doesn't know how to run laterally no one does. No. Yeah. So he, he shoots sparks out of his fingertips. He can shoot rays of light out of his hand. That's when he, you know, shoots the electricity. Oh, yeah. He grapples the door and zaps it? Yeah. Zaps it off, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. And then my favorite is, uh, he says he knocks he knocks villains out by just swiping his hand. Oh, yeah. So he... we know it as him throwing the batarang. Batarang. But that makes sense. Like, you can't see him throwing anything. And he you just see his hand swipe. And then a, a couple seconds later, either a gun gets hit out of someone's hand or they just collapse and like i never thought about looking at batman that way and it was a very cool interpretation of him well and it, it's it's fun too because from a storytelling perspective it justifies the use of a narrator mm-hmm. right because the narrator is only interesting if there's some sort of contrast between what the narrator is saying and what's happening on screen and that right. happens with both bullock and with the rookie which makes it kind of fun and they have such opposite attitudes for it too and and both are, are played kind of for laughs just in a totally different way one's at bullock's expense the other one's kind of not really at the rookie's expense but again like 
yeah, here is how an outsider would see everything that Batman does. But because of this supernatural way of telling the story, Hackle doesn't believe the rookie at all. Yeah, well, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Um, so then it's Montoya's story, and that's just very straightforward and normal. She runs back into the warehouse because there's one person left. Batman shows up to save her, and then the building collapses on top of Batman as he pushes her to an escape. Yeah, they kind of like, he saves her, and then I think she kind of saves him, and then he saves her again, and yeah, then he's buried alive under debris. And we get a commercial break. Batman's incapacitated by yep. following Debris. I think I think that's good enough to stop Batman. I think An so. Entire I'll, building. I'll, I'll give him that one. A wooden warehouse. Yet another flammable warehouse collapses at the top of them. It's totally fine. So then we we come out of that and then we're back at the interrogation. And again, IA guy doesn't believe any of them. And yeah, no Hackle one's, suspends all of them. Yeah, because no one's given a straight answer because Bullock's not telling the truth. Yeah, so he suspends them all. Montoya goes off on her own. She's on the train and. Over the course of the whole sting operation, they had heard two things. The rookie had heard someone say something about Doc. They think it's a doctor. And Montoya had heard someone say something like half-cocked. She's trying to figure it all out. Yeah. On the train, she realizes it's the docks. And then she conveniently sees, I think it's half-cock warehouse, something like that, or half-cock industries, on the dock. So she figures it out, heads down to the dock. And what does she find down at the dock? She finds Batman dangling for his life. Yep. That utility belt has gotten super easy to take off. Well, I, I did appreciate that he had, his safety feature isn't taking the belt off. It's if you're trying to open something. Oh, yeah. It's, it, 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 it had the countermeasure sprays the, the pink yeah. goo all over him. Yeah, Batman's just hanging there, and he was just waiting for them to point out where the boss was. And then what does he pull out? I don't remember. His, his trusty pocket oh, knife right, right. stashed pocket, away yeah. in his wrist. Yep, cut, cuts the rope. I will at least give them, the writers and Batman to credit that in this situation, it was deliberate on his mm-hmm. part to kind of get captured. Yeah, and that he wasn't just hanging there for no good reason, but he was waiting. So then uh, he escapes, fights ensue, people get thrown off the pier into water. You have to. Montoya saves bats, fight, gunfire, grapple. There's a crane, right? Matoya takes over the crane. Yeah. And, and starts... she, she grabs the, the boss yeah. like a giant claw machine. Yep. I appreciate that. I always appreciate a good claw machine joke. a good claw machine. Uh, one of the, there's a whole bunch of henchmen, and they keep getting knocked in the water. One finally gets up, hops on a forklift, and is barreling towards Batman, who jumps on board, disables the henchman, drives the forklift off the pier into the boat the boss is escaping off of, sinking the boat. Because he's that good. He's that good. He's the Batman. He's the Batman. But now there's also a, a, a sunken boat in the middle of Gotham Harbor, which I imagine is kind of busy. Eh, I'm sure they have measures for that. Yeah. I feel like Batman probably sinks a lot of boats. He probably... Do you think... Do you think that Bruce is just, like, funneling in money to repair and, like, solve all the collateral damage that he causes through, like, Well, we know he has a lot of... And... He has a lot of shadow companies yeah. that he kind of shells money into without people knowing. So yeah. I'm sure or he's doing does, it without. Or does Wayne Industries have an amazing construction branch that's just raking in ridiculous amounts of profit off of Batman's own destruction? That, I mean, that would make sense. That Because yeah. people always talk about how Batman doesn't run out of money with all the gadgets he has to buy. Uh, he's got to fund his habit somehow. Yeah. Yeah, just by destroying Gotham and rebuilding it. Man. It's the equivalent of... Um, Oh, what's the Marvel series where it's just about the cleanup crew? Damage control. Yeah, his damage control is just Wayne construction. But hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe he helps employ like ex-cons in his construction company. You know, he's, that's how they he's keep a philanthropist. He's a g- 
He's building. No, he. Here's what happens. He built Arkham in the first place. Mm-hmm. He deliberately built it weak so that the villains could escape. So he has something to do, and then his company goes back and repairs the damage and does a poor job, so they can still keep getting out. It's just a vicious loop. Yeah. But he's got. He's got to do something. He's not going to go play golf, right? He's not going to go on vacation, right? He's got to do something to keep himself busy. Exactly. Wow. What a dick. That's what we've learned this week, everyone. Yeah, across the three episodes, we've learned that Batman's a real asshole. Yeah. But he's a good friend to Harvey. That's true. He is a good friend to Harvey. Wait, is he? Yeah, he saved his life. That's true. He did save his life. At he, this point he in didn't the try series. And sleep with his fiance. Which is different from every movie. Okay, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He's a good friend to Harvey, and that's about it. Yeah. And that's not going to last very long. Yeah, so they capture the villains. Everyone gets their badges back. Mm-hmm. Everything's happy. I did. I did read that on this episode, the original script also had flashbacks in it that kind of more fleshed out Bullock and Montoya. So that like Bullock's flashbacks were him like back in school, like getting criticized for not being a team player. Okay. And then from Montoya, that as a kid, like her family, or whatever, her parents kept calling her a liar. It's so, like there's one having read that and then rewatching it recently. There's a scene where. Gordon and the internal affairs guy are arguing back and forth about who's a liar, liar, liar. And so you just see it's all on Montoya's face. So they keep saying liar back and forth. So there was clearly more there that kind of fleshed out. But Yeah, I, I mean, I did very much appreciate this episode brought Montoya to kind of supporting character status yeah. in this show. I can never remember the timing of it. She was created for the show, right? And then I think... She was a small character in the comics, but they made her a prominent figure in the police force. Yeah. I, I, I was reading up about it. It was a little hard to tell. I, I think she maybe she was created for the show, but she happened to actually appear in the comics first, mm-hmm. just by happenstance. And then she made it into the show. Because obviously she later on became a pretty big character. Like during um, like the No Man's Land run, sometime in the 90s, she stayed behind the city and gets captured by Two-Face, and that sets up a whole thing. And then later on, he outs her as a lesbian, and that's a big thing because then she dates Batwoman for a while, and she becomes a question. And she's been a really big character through a lot of DC. And I think now she's just back to being a cop on the GCPD. I think maybe Bullock's partner. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I don't know where she's at now. I don't but know. she has a very, very interesting history that yeah, I, she I does. really enjoy. Yeah, and we get a lot of her throughout the rest of the show at various points. So I think that... Covers those three episodes. Do you have did it. Any, other, oh, any other thoughts on these three gems? Not really. We kind of, we, we blew through all of them. Yeah. A little surprised. Well, we did pick these three deliberately because they could all be done pretty quickly. Because you didn't like Underdwellers and you just wanted to brush over it. I did. I say nay. Hey, you know, what? I bet you, I bet you it. when I go and review the audio and edit it, we spent the most time probably talking did. about Underdwellers. I hope we so. did. There you go. Who won in the end, Cameron? I always win. You always win. Damn it. Okay, well, uh, that's it for this episode. So next week we're going to have... Wait, oh... Next week we're back on me. two. We're back to two. And it's Forgotten. Forgotten, right. And then... Uh, Which is very forgettable. It is, yeah. Uh, and Be a Clown. Be a Clown. It's a very, very interesting episode. Yeah. They're, they're pretty solid. So, yeah, that, uh, that takes care of it. You know, we're at Tim Talk Pod on Instagram and Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah, we have a Twitter, yeah. We have a Twitter, yeah. I don't, I don't know anything with it. But, and then Cameron, we can find you. Uh, you can find me at Cameron Dexter on everything. Yeah, and I'm at Lordifer. Lordifer. Can't even say my own thing. Uh, and thank you to Olga Desatnik. Did I get it right? Yes. Uh, for being our audio engineer. We're recording down here at the podcast booth at the Nerdist School, so go check out nerdistschool.com. See you next week.